Hello, my name is Sarah Sloan, and you're listening to The Sarah Sloan Show. Hope you guys are doing well and are happy, not angry, sad, but not crying. I'm joined here with my father, and we're going to discuss kind of two media interactions, interviews that I found to be rather interesting that happened uh, last week. So, the first one is uh, Lester Holt with NBC and Kamala Harris. And they are discussing the border. So she, just as a whole, the way that she wants to handle the border crisis is that she wants to go to other countries that people are fleeing from to come to the U.S. She wants to fix those countries. And she truly believes that she can do that for some reason. Um, Well, she's already done it here. (laughs) She's already fixed up the U.S. She's got extra time now because she's fixed our problems. Yeah. We don't have any. We're perfect. Uh, And she went to Guatemala and she was basically just saying, do not come. Do not come (laughs) to them. That's what she said. That's how she sounded. Do not come. And uh, yeah, people were pretty angry at her. I don't think the Guatemalans were very happy to see her either. I I wouldn't be. (laughs) Maybe that's what will keep them away definitely (laughs) she's over there you don't want to go there no 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 yeah stay where you are (laughs) yeah i know you guys have some pretty bad leaders but just stay where you are it's better (laughs) you're better off um so basically it's pretty hard to get anyone to even ask her a straight question of just like why will you not go to the u.s mexico border like what is wrong with you uh president biden gave you this task which we could also argue why isn't president biden taking this it's a pretty big crisis why has he got to pass it off to the vp you know, he's demented. Yeah, honestly, he really is. Um, so, yeah, there, there's a lot that's wrong with all this. But uh, basically, a lot of interviewers just won't ask her. Finally, Lester Holt did. Mm. So let's play it. Go, Lester. Yeah, go, Lester. Go, Lester. Go. Work in this region. So how quickly does this change what we see at the border? I don't know that we're going to see it. Listen, I've been very clear from the beginning. There isn't there's not going to be a quick fix. So we've seen progress. Uh, but the, the, the real work is going to take time to manifest itself. Will it be worth it? Yes. Will it take some time? Yes. There's one other topic I wanted to uh, talk to you about. But let me just quickly put a button. Okay. Do you have any plans to visit the border? I, I'm here in Guatemala today I, at some point. You know, I, I, we are going to the border. We've been to the border. So this whole, this, whole, this whole thing about the border, we've been to the border. We've been to the border. You haven't been to the border. I, and I haven't been to Europe. And I, I mean, I don't, I don't understand the point that you're making. I'm not discounting the importance of the border. Well, I, I, I mentioned it because I, even, I, I know Republicans have certainly come at you on this, but Democratic Congressman Cuellar, as a border district, has said to the, you and the president, come. You need, I care you need to see about, this. Listen, I care about what's happening at the border. I'm in Guatemala because my focus is dealing with the root causes of migration. There may be uh, some who think that that is not important, but it is my firm belief that if we care about what's happening at the border, we better care about the root causes and address them. And so that's what I'm doing. It's not the only tough issue President Biden has handed his vice president. Also recently asking her to oversee the effort to pass the Democrats' new voting bill. But a blow this weekend when a key Democratic senator, Joe Manchin, said he would not support what he called 
partisan voting legislation. So where does that leave the effort? Well, we're very clear. We believe that uh, the, for the, the People Act needs to be passed, um, as does the John Lewis Voting Rights Act. How do you pass this legislation without that critical support? The numbers well, don't add up. Well, listen, we are focusing on the issue in a number of ways. There's certainly the piece that's about legislation. There's a piece that is about uplifting the issues and, and the folks who are at risk. Because, by the way, um, when we talk about partisanship, bipartisanship, this should be nonpartisan, not even bipartisan. Because the laws that are going to impede people to vote based on early voting, voting by mail, shortening the hours, eliminating or reducing the number of drop boxes that are available, that's going to hurt every voter. Okay. I know I played a lot of that. But that's your vice president, and you need to understand that she's got problems. <laughs> <laughs> so, like, I, we've been to the border. We've been to the border. We've been to the border. You haven't been to the border. And I haven't been to <laughs> Europe. <laughs> and I want to go. I'm ready. <laughs> it, you know, it's almost comical. Uh, I, I guess she's trying to say that <clears throat> there's no need to go to the border, which to some degree you could argue. You know, you can see pictures. You can see video coverage. You could have other people go and then tell you about it. Those could be just as effective. The bottom line is that the policy is to not do anything. It, you know, they're talking about the progress will be slow. This is going to take a while, is what she says. Yeah, it will take a while when you do absolutely nothing. <laughs> when you have a failed policy and you, you, you leave it in place. Yeah, it's going to take a while. Uh, you know, that's the whole purpose. They're trying to get as many people through illegally to subvert, you know, our... our borders and our system and to stress our systems and our social programs so that that's going to take a while and, and that's really where they're at you know there it, it is evil you know how the, the difficulty here is to believe that they really want to break our country and once you once you get it that that's really the goal it makes a whole lot more sense what they're doing but until you get that, it, it doesn't make any sense, and you're kind of confused. And, yeah, it's just like it's the simplest thing. Just go. Mm -hmm. Like everything, you know, they always say it's about the optics. It's about how things look for a politician. Sometimes you just got to go, even though you're not going to do anything. You may just shake some hands. But it's about how it looks as well. That was the issue for Ted Cruz whenever he left during the snow apocalypse, and mm. he went to Cancun, and he had to go straight back because it looked bad. That's the only reason. What was he going to do? How yeah. was he going to fix anything? Yeah, if was he, he had gonna, not left, what was he going to accomplish while he was... Yeah, here? is he going to stop the snow, mm. you know, block it with his hands? Like, yeah. no, he wasn't going to do anything. Talk to the power companies. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, in the same way, although she is much more able to actually help the issue. Mm. Um, she doesn't want to. Yeah, that's exactly it. Really, the truth is, it's probably better and more reflective that she not go. If she went, she wouldn't do anything, and it might cause some people to think that she's actually cares or is responsive, which is completely false. Oh, yeah. So it's more accurate and reflective that she not go. <laughs> but yeah, it, she is, uh, she 
did that so terribly mm. that that whole interview like what what was that and i know that a lot of people are pretty upset with her they even there was a leak to a news outlet that the staffers were just very disappointed in her performance and you know that that they could have stopped that leak mm. they did that on purpose mm. they wanted her to know that she did a really bad job because she did. She did an awful job. And she's done a terrible job. And that's why she was not ever going to be the Democratic nominee. Mm. She was never going to be. She was not. She's not attractive as a candidate for anyone. No one likes her. Oh, her laugh. Oh, that beautiful laugh. <laughs> uh, do, you, do you plan to go to the border? Uh, not today. <laughs> I will never forget that because yeah. it was just so that is so her but you either have the charismatic bone or you don't and yeah I think she's much better just uh once she's planned things out and that's why you don't always see her just taking questions from the press mm. you don't see that mm. because she can't handle it she's not good at it she's not good off the cuff mm. because she's got nothing in her mm. she has to plan it all up before she can you know to pretend yes Yes, and it's that's all it is. It's all pretend. So, um, yeah, to pretend that she cares. Oh, she, she does not give a about flip. The Guatemalans. No. You know, and and to think that I don't know the arrogance to think she's going to go solve these problems of these countries that they've had for generations. I thought she was the vice president of the United States. <laughs> but as I said before, she's already solved all our problems. Yeah, she's done an excellent job. <laughs> the United States of Guatemala and Europe and pretty much anywhere other than the U.S. I did notice, according to my weird mind, Guatemala and her first name end with the same four or five letters, don't they? That's true. That must have been the reason why <laughs> she went there. Wow, I didn't make the connection until now. And... In Spanish, the word mala is feminine for bad. That's like a true. Bad woman. Yeah. Mala. That's a good point, Dad. I wow. <laughs> Kamala. Guatemala. Bad woman. Bad. It makes sense. It mm -hmm. makes a lot of sense. But you can't always make the connection for other people with their names. That's so. true. But with this one, you certainly can. Mm -hmm. Um. So the next interview is uh brian stelter on cnn he he is such an interesting man if he's a man <laughs> <laughs> and he's basically just like kissing the feet of the press secretary jen saki oh my gosh he's just slobbering all over himself we'll just play parts of this and discuss um but it's pretty gross is he kissing her feet or her sockies oh my gosh <laughs> dad <laughs> Get off the stage. <laughs> Your time is done. <laughs> All right, let's play it. So comfortable. Then there's times where you seem frustrated by the lines of questioning. So I want to know what the job is like versus what you expected it to be like. Well, I'm a human being. So even though uh, every day I try to be completely even. What? what? <laughs> She's a human being? <laughs> That's such a surprise. Breaking news. Breaking news. <laughs> Yeah, and by the way, just just put yourself in the frame of mind that a reporter, a supposed to be serious, neutral reporter, is asking the press secretary 
this question and not a legitimate question like, hey, can we talk about some issues that are happening in the country? These questions are not going to help us as a country. These are not Katie correct questions. No. But that's in the future, Dad. Okay. <laughs> All right. Even keeled and always my objective per the president's direction is to pre treat people with respect and take questions and provide accurate information. That's my goal every day, but I'm also a human. Uh, and sometimes when you're answering the question, uh, saying the same question a tenth time or when a question uh, more, more likely the things that get under my skin or when a question, the premise of a question is based in uh, inaccurate information, misleading information, uh, that can be frustrating. I, I try not to show it too much. Try not to let people see me sweat too much, but occasionally I have a moment of humanity. Well, so those questions that are based on falsehoods, they come from brands like Newsmax, which uh, you know, it does sometimes get called on in the briefing room. I know a lot of liberals don't want Fox News to get called on. I think they should be, but I know a lot of liberals, a lot of Democrats don't want it. So why do you call on Fox News and Newsmax? Well, Brian, we know there's a lot of different uh, points of view on this, as you just uh, referenced. But my point of view, and more importantly, the president's point of view, is that uh, the story is not about uh, me or a debate with news outlets. The story is about the plans of the administration and what we're trying to project to the American people. And when he pledged to govern for all Americans, that means talking to a range of outlets, liberal, conservative, uh, people who have different areas of interest. So that's exactly Exactly what I try to do every day in the briefing room. He said in his inaugural, we all have a duty to defend the truth and defeat the lies. Five months in, do you feel you've made any progress with that, defeating the lies? I try every day to. And Brian, I think one of the things I try to focus on, or we all do in this administration, is not uh, undervaluing the intelligence of the American people. Uh, when people ask an, a question that is based on a false premise or a question that skips over some details, what we try to do on our best days is be informative explain how a process works. How, how does a bill become a law? What's the importance of communicating or going to the G7 or NATO? We don't need to completely dumb things down. We need to speak about things in an accessible way, but we have a responsibility to peel the curtains back in governing and government and how things work. And, you know, we think the American people will hopefully respond to that. What our assessment is of, of our success, I will tell you, I, I never thought we would be uh, successful in rebuilding every element of trust with the public in five months. It's going to be an ongoing process uh, and something we'll keep working on every day. Obviously, the president. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so like we really like strive to like be perfect and like I know we're not, but like we strive. <laughs> <laughs> it was interesting the way they talked about Fox and Newsmax, you know, oh. why would you even answer their questions how yeah like I'm, I'm fine with it but like why why do you though like really why do you <laughs> <laughs> well we try to censor them and we we don't want really to hear from them but for the appearance sake we you know i really, really there's a lot of them that they, they wish those networks never existed they wish oh, those yeah. reporters you know would just fall into the ground and die but they they want to give the appearance of being open open-minded yeah they're the least open-minded and these you know the fox news and the newsmax in my opinion although they are kind of brutal sometimes i still think they go pretty easy mm. they could be a lot 
you know, more nasty mm-hmm. if they wanted to be. And they're not. They just ask questions uh, that their audience want to know the answer to. And isn't that what this is all about? Who is the press for? <laughs> the press is for the people. Mm. And I think that everybody forgets that. And everybody makes a press. The press for Brian Stelter is for impressing his other journalist friends and impressing the White House press secretary and impressing Biden who might see it. it that's what it's all about for them. Mm. Just impressing each other, all the elites, because we're so stupid. We're the dumb people. We're lowly. I'm a laser. Um, so that's just, that's what they're thinking. That, you know, they really do feel like they're the enlightened ones. Oh, yeah. <clears throat> and, you know, really most of the points that the conservatives want to make are points that are not being mentioned by the news. Mm-hmm. And they like it that way. They don't want those points being mentioned. Yeah, yeah. And are those points false? Are they uninformed? No, they're absolutely true. Yeah. They just want to avoid them because they don't look good. It has to do with their failings, has to do with their flaws and inconsistencies or lies. They don't want to face those things. They'd rather they never be mentioned. Yeah, and and I don't know what she's talking about when she says she's teaching the public how a bill becomes a law. Like, what the heck? I I watch a lot of what she says, and Mm. I never learned that from her. (laughs) So, liar. Okay, let's play some more. Press Corps wants to talk to the president more often. Why haven't you held more than one press conference, one big press conference? Well, Brian, I have an interesting statistic just for you in my back pocket that Martha Kumar, I'll credit Gate, uh, shared with me last week. In the first 100 days of this president's presidency, he took questions from the press 77 days. I don't know how that compares historically, but he takes questions several times a week, is always, is uh, almost always open to have that engagement with reporters, and I expect that will continue to be the case. On Friday, a reporter shouted a question and it was answered, but the, the, the setting for a formal press conference that demands the country's attention you all have chosen not to go that route he doesn't give many interviews either is that part of an attempt to lower the temperature be less visible be boring uh, certainly not I, I don't think uh, anything we're doing around here is boring uh, getting the pandemic under control going on our first foreign trip putting uh, millions of Americans back to work I, I don't know what version of that is boring uh, but I will tell you that uh, there's an opportunity several times a week for the president to have an engagement and answer questions from reporters. I understand there's questions about a formal press conference, but that may be driven more by the media than it is by the American public, Brian. I figured you'd say that. You know, you used to be on this side of the camera. You were a CNN commentator in between uh, your time working for the Obama administration and now working for Biden. What did you learn here? What did you take from CNN? and, And how does it apply to your job now? I mean, a lot. One, you know, when you're a CNN commentator or commentator for any network, you do spend a lot of time uh, sitting on a set, uh, being prepared to give your input on Mm. a breaking news issue or an issue that's developing in real time. And that's certainly good preparation for standing in front of the camera at the briefing every day. And there also are a few people who I may have sat on that set with in the past who had strongly different views uh, from mine. Uh, And that sometimes is uh, replicated in the briefing room with the with some questions or the line of questioning that comes up. So I I tap into a lot of things I had the honor and pleasure of doing in the past, including being a CNN commentator, including serving at the State Department. And I know that that helps me uh, in the briefing every day. Well, Um, why didn't you have lunch with me when I asked you? I asked you several times and I would send you emails to just like, just talk to me and you never did. (laughs) 
Well, Brian, I'm just, <laughs> I'm just not interested. <laughs> but uh, yeah, that's just, that's what it feels like. It feels like yeah. a two high schoolers, and yeah. like the loser uh, boy is trying to talk to the popular girl. That's what it feels like. It's yeah. just so weird the dynamic, and and also it it feels like kind of nasty. Okay, so she worked for CNN, and now she's a press secretary, mm. and everybody celebrates this wonderful, wonderful. Okay, well, Sarah Huckabee Sanders was a press secretary, and after her career with that, she worked for Fox. Disgusting, disgusting. How awful, how awful. Mm. I, I'm sorry. I, I think that what Sarah Huckabee Sanders did was better. She was in a position, and she could put that on a resume, and that qualified her to now be a commentator for that mm. versus mm. Uh, Saki over here, CNN, and then because of what she did for them, now she's going to... Mm. be a press secretary you know it just feels like kind of backwards so now she's talking to a cnn reporter yeah and it just feels like where a she used to be yes it's like a little bit of a conflict of interest mm. i feel mm. like you know the yeah you, you just see the uh, deep state views in the strong left views and all of that of course cnn was a great prep for that and what did she learn yeah she didn't learn much you know she, she thinks exactly the same um but it's interesting the whole point of the types of press conferences and you know lack of formal press conferences and interviews and that's basically being swept under the rug they're pretending that this is the norm and, and nobody's comparing it with trump or anybody else uh the way things have always been done this is now being presented as the norm yeah, and even she, though it's brand new. Yeah, yeah. She, you know, she's saying a number like seventy-seven. Oh mm. wow, seventy-seven. That's a lot. Yeah. You know, and then she's like, I don't know how that compares historically. You don't know because it's less mm. because you did the research and you know it's less and you don't mm. want to say it because no, it would make him look bad. Yeah. No, she's saying seventy-seven days into his presidency no, that like, he's. It, it's just like a weird statistic that they're pulling out of their butt. I never talks to anybody. He barely does. And then every time he does, he literally was caught saying this the other day. Didn't you tell mm. me? Uh, he was just like, I'm going to get in trouble with my staff. They don't yeah. like whenever I take your questions. So, you know, I don't know if him getting a question thrown at him, walking on in and out or something, they call that one of the days. There's no way there's 77 days. Trump was always accessible. Mm. I, That's true. He, he was He was so accessible. And, okay, I think it was a good thing. Uh, but in some ways, you know, it definitely wasn't helpful just because... There's a difference with with this media. They're for Biden, mm. and with the media for Trump, oh, they hated his guts. Right. So it just got really nasty and, and petty, and it wasn't just asking questions. Like, mm. remember that one time whenever uh, one of the CNN reporters he like wouldn't, you, you know, like the the lady that worked in the White House was trying to take the mic from him because mm. his term was over, and he like wouldn't let go of it, and it almost became like a little bit of a physical altercation. And Trump was like, you were so disrespectful. You were, you know. Mm. And so it just wasn't even about the questions anymore. It got mm. really ugly. Mm -hmm. um, you never see that now. Right, right. Fox News, so bad. Oh. You know, what they don't want to say is Biden is not capable of facing questions like that. He's just not capable. His mind isn't there. He needs to prep everything. Literally. You remember the, I, I've played it on the show before. Uh, Fox asked him, what did you discuss with Putin? And they said, you. And yeah, that's funny, but literally just shows you can't answer a question. Right. You can't handle it so that you go to jokes instead. Right. You're the mm -hmm. president of the United mm -hmm. States and you're into jokes? Okay. 
And the sad thing is Kamala does the same thing. Oh, yeah. She doesn't answer things openly. No. So you got to give softball questions and then you get those types of answers that don't really respond. And yeah, and it's already been said that people have to give their questions to her beforehand mm. to Jen mm. Jen Psaki. And, and that's, it's obvious because she usually will have like the quote ready. She'll have mm. stuff ready that mm. like you just wouldn't be able to know mm-hmm. beforehand. Right. You had to have prepared before. Mm. So it's just, it's super blatant and obvious. So mm-hmm. let's play some more. There's a version on the liberal blogs of, of something that goes like this. Uh, Saki smacks down. You know, Saki shuts down a questioner. It's this narrative that we're seeing people celebrating you for doing it. And yet that kind of reminds me of cable news and the way that the you know, cable news engages. I'm not sure that's always actually good for the country, even though it might be entertaining. Well, look, Brian, I think, one, I'm not putting out those assessments. What I will tell you, though, is that I also have a responsibility not to allow the briefing room to become a forum for propaganda or a forum for pushing forward falsehoods or inaccurate information. My best preparation from that was actually serving as the State Department spokesperson when there were representatives of the Russian and Chinese media in the briefing room asking me questions that were directed by their government. So Mm. we see that from time to time in the briefing room, not every single day at all, but I have a responsibility to the public to make sure they're getting accurate information and the premises of questions that are propaganda pushing are not giving them inaccurate information. And speaking of inaccurate information, you were asked on Friday at the briefing about Facebook and about the ban uh, against former President Trump that's in effect now for almost two more years. You said the Biden White House wants the platforms to crack down on disinformation. But what does it actually mean in practice? What do you envision that looking like? Look, there are a range of ways to do that, Brian, uh, including, uh, you know, these platforms, uh, how they attract users, how they're tracking the information that is going out there uh, to the public. Uh, certainly, it's a decision by them who is allowed to use their platforms. As I also said on Friday, uh, we know a lot about uh, former President uh, Trump and how he uses these platforms, and it feels pretty unlikely he's going to massively change his approach over the next two years. I guess we'll see. Uh, but there's a lot of ways that these platforms can take initiative can take steps themselves to ensure that the American public is not getting, or the global public, to be honest, is not getting inaccurate information. For other PR professionals who watch what you do, for journalists who watch what you do, what's your advice for them about trying to stay close to the truth in this world of lies? Well, I think what I try to do is stay grounded to the facts and what I mean by that, the details and what Mm. we can help provide publicly to clarify context, to make it more understandable to the press, to the public. Uh, And sometimes it's not more complicated than that. Really talking to policy experts and gaining an understanding myself so that I can communicate in a way that my mother, my mother-in-law, you know, other people who are not involved in politics like you and I are um, every day would understand what we're trying to do. Uh, I keep grounded in that, but try to go deep in the details so I can kind of um, pull out and make it accessible. Well, that's the... She just said that she doesn't want to dumb it down. So, like, pick your choice. But Mm -hmm. also, okay, if I came to Brian Stelter and I was like, think of the easiest softball questions, the most, Mm. you know, uh, flattering questions that you can and make that the interview for for Jen. Mm. He did it. That's yeah, what it is. He did it. it. There is no challenge there. Uh-huh. None at all. No pressing. Mm. No no pushback. Nothing. These are 
you know, what can people learn from you? Mm. How was it? How, how has your experience been working for CNN? Are, are you, how are you liking your job now? Um, <laughs> oh, you know, well, there, there's some, you know, uh, headlines saying that you take down people. Um, is that good? Oh, yeah, you're right. You didn't write it. Yeah, that's a good point. <laughs> what in the world? <laughs> you know, it's interesting. The two terms... Uh, Propaganda and disinformation. Well, those are bipartisan terms. Everybody would agree on what is true, and everybody agree on, agrees on what is false. Everybody agrees on what's propaganda, and everybody agrees on what's disinformation. No. You know, if it's, if it's conservative, it's disinformation and propaganda. If it's liberal, then it's true. That's Perfect it, example, the Wuhan lab leak theory. Yeah. Conspiracy theory. You're an idiot if you say it. Debunked. Yep, yeah, that is propaganda. The scientific mm -hmm. experts already said, no, that's not a thing. Mm -hmm. We're now a year later, and now they're saying it's a thing. Right. That it looks like there was a lab leak. Oh, the wet markets. You know, everybody said that it's because these Chinese people were mm. uh, selling bats because, oh, those nasty Chinese people eat bats. Mm. Uh, mm. Well, actually, if, if you look into it, Oxford Research said that they don't sell bats in the wet market. So uh, you guys are the racists for just assuming that Chinese people are eating bats mm. instead of us saying that we just believe that there was this gain of, uh, of function, function research yeah. and they used bats. There's a lady that actually likes being called Bat Lady. And she, she was the one that was kind of the head of this research. So, uh, you know, it's just, we were called idiots. Mm. And now it's come out that it's true. That was, that was just a total 180 for them. We've, we've stayed consistent on it. Mm -hmm. They haven't. So we can't trust you. Mm. This shows us right there that you cannot be trusted because you didn't even bother to look into it. It's fine if you maybe thought, that's crazy, uh, I'm not so sure. But if you looked into it, I can respect you. Mm. But you didn't even look into it. You know, the, it, it's so self-righteous that what they speak is truth. Absolute truth. And what the conservatives, the right, speaks is disinformation and propaganda. And this is really what you would get in a communist country, where the media is controlled and can only say one thing. Mm -hmm. And, you know, you see this. Um, China's a perfect example and the way they're cracking down in Hong Kong and Taiwan. And, you know, they, they will not allow um, you to speak against their views. You know, what they say is true, and that's all there is to it. Yeah, it's just like, the, Brian Stelter, it's supposed to be a new show. You're supposed to learn things. You're supposed to become informed. This is not, this mm. is just flattery. Mm -hmm. Th this is not a sit down Oprah interview. No, it, he's not Oprah. Mm. He doesn't look anything like her and he's not giving out cars. So don't try to be like Oprah. Mm -hmm. You are supposed to be a hardcore journalist. Start acting like it. Mm. Here, let's play a little bit more. Common thread. I know this is often adversarial, but it also has to be functional. Is the relationship between the White House and the press corps now at least functional? in ways it wasn't in the Trump years? I think so. Um, look, I think we go into the, I go into the briefing room every day and I think the reporters do the same thing. They're gonna ask tough questions. Uh, they're gonna push me where they want more information. They want me to, uh, to give more information. That's their job. 
Uh, my job is to provide as much information as I can, the president's uh, point of view, uh, what our policies are to the American public. Sometimes I can't provide every single detail of what's happening privately because it's a private negotiation or a private right. discussion or there's a national security issue at play. Uh, you know, that's a push and pull. Uh, but that's a healthy push and pull, part of our democracy. And something, frankly, returning the briefing is something that sends a message to the world that we're not afraid to engage. We're not afraid. We believe in the free press. And it's part of the message uh, that we're going to now project, uh, you know, even as we go on our first overseas trip next week. I should mention that we pre-taped with Saki on Friday before those new revelations about the gag order at the New York Times. Otherwise, obviously, we would have asked about it. I did ask her when the press briefing room will return to pre-COVID norms. So let's get to that. But first, uh, some personal questions. You recently told David Axelrod that you envisioned being in this job for about a year. Uh, and that's partly because, you know, it, it's a grind and, and you're going to hand it off to the next person. Is that still what you're thinking timing-wise? So does that mean next January is when you envision handing it off? We'll see, Brian. I mean, I always serve, like any of us, at the pleasure of the president. He asked me to serve in this job. Uh, hopefully he doesn't fire me tomorrow, but, uh, you know, I'm all, it's always who he wants to serve in this job. Uh, I'm not walking out the door at day 365. Uh, I think what I was conveying to my old friend David Axelrod is that, uh, you know, there's an opportunity. One of the roles I, I love to play in this job is an opportunity to lift uh, young talent and new faces up um, and ha give other people an opportunity to be the front face and shine. I also have two little kids who are in preschool, but this is a job of a lifetime, a huge honor to serve this president uh, in this time. And, uh, you know, I, I'm not running out the door at a specific mark, but, uh, but I do want to give others an opportunity. And I, I do have my kids in mind and spending time with them. I appreciate thinking like you're in a relay race. You have the torch, you're gonna to hand it off to the next person. We're all bigger than, than our own individual role. So I, I get that. I, I wonder if also you think about the history making uh, aspect of, of this job right now, the, the, the historic time that we are in, in the midst of a mm -hmm. pandemic. You started in that briefing room with social distancing. Now it's at 50% capacity. When will the briefing room return to what we would call normal, 100% capacity? Hopefully very, very soon. Uh, we are working to implement our own process here with bringing staff back to work full time in the EEOB and in the West Wing, uh, certainly uh, opening up the briefing room to 100% capacity. Uh, we're working with our COVID team on that, but very soon is certainly my hope. So I'm gonna start asking some personal questions. What were all the other questions? You were asking personal questions the whole time. <laughs> what are you talking about? You know, one thing I liked at the beginning, what uh, she was trying to say was, or I guess maybe he was in the question, and that was trying to make a comparison between the current uh, relationship with the press in the White House and the way it was under Trump. So they're basically saying, this is the way it should have been. And the only reason it wasn't under Trump was because of Trump. Uh, no, the media had absolutely nothing to do with it. It was, it was just Trump. He was nasty. He was mean. If it hadn't been for him, we would have had it just like it is now, palsy-walsy. And the thing is, like, there, there are videos of just the disgusting treatment. Like, we didn't get to see all that happened that they had to put up with. Just some snootiness, mm -hmm. attitude mm -hmm. to the president of the United States. Mm -hmm. You're supposed to respect that office, whoever it is. It's Joe Biden. I don't like Joe Biden, but still, if I met the guy, I'm going to be respectful and ask questions respectfully. But with Trump, no, that all was thrown out the ta uh, thrown out, yeah, out the, out of the window. So, mm -hmm. um, 
But yeah, I also found it interesting just the, uh, no, I, I'm not saying when I'm leaving, you know, I, I'm not. And probably what's <laughs> happening is she's searching for jobs and she's like, where am I going to find something? <laughs> <laughs> oh, and I do care about my kids. Um, not for this year, but anyway. Yeah, that's so true. <laughs> how, how come you don't care about your kids right now? <laughs> In about a year, uh, they, they might need me. Yeah, there we go. You know, they'll grow up. And, and the kids are like, please keep on working, Mom. We can't stand <laughs> seeing you. <laughs> Give us another year off. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, do another big job. But yeah, that, that's really how it is. But that, that, I hope you learned a lot from that interview because that's not journalism. That's not reporting. That is just uh, flattery and really grossness. So... Um, he probably has a shrine of her in his room, and he's just like, ah, ba 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 ba, Jen Saki, you know, bowing down to it five times a day. Uh, how would reporters interview politicians in Ru- in Russia or China? Oh, the same way. Uh, yeah, I think so. It's so true. Yeah, it's freaky. That's what we got. It's really, really freaky. Um, all right, so the verse is going to be Proverbs fifteen one: A gentle answer turns away wrath, but a harsh word stirs up anger. I see that this is one of the verses that I think about probably the most mm. um, whenever things happen in my life. Mm-hmm. Like, there, you know, obviously tons of things happen in my life. It's life. Uh, but <laughs> oftentimes whenever I, I give that harsh answer and I didn't have to, mm-hmm. I'm met with another harsh answer from the other person. And it just stirs up wrath. It gets so nasty. Um, but whenever I'm gentle... Mm-hmm. it immediately takes it down mm-hmm. and it, it's amazing it really is a difference and you can still convey the same message um but it's self-control and a lot of times uh it's hard to have self-control but we do we we have self-control we totally do so uh this is yeah a very powerful verse you know it's speaking more about the way in which we answer than what we answer yeah. Sometimes, you know, we have to say the, the hard things, the true things, but it's how we say it. That's so true. Yeah, yeah. The, the same message. But, yeah, just like take a second, then answer. I it, mm-hmm. That's hard for me. I really, this is something I struggle with, to be honest. I, I get very just like, you know. There's another verse that talks about be slow to speak. It's hard. Mm. I like speaking. And I do it quickly. <laughs> <laughs> But yeah, yeah, this is definitely one of those. But Joyce Meyer, she was talking about self-control and trying to give an example that we do have self-control. So she was saying that she was yelling at her kids at the top of her lungs. um, And then uh, her pastor at the time knocks on the door. And then a minute passes and she opens the door. She's like, hello, pastor, how are you? Uh, You know, just immediately changes like a a complete difference in behavior. And she's like, that shows I have self-control. I'm just not using it. You know, but we all have it. We we could do it. We're selective in our use of it. Yep. Yep. So, um, all right. We'll, we'll just end the show there. Hope you guys enjoyed it and uh, enjoy your day as well. I give you permission. Have a good one.